Countrywide on ABC Radio. Support businesses are going to go to the wall just like dairy farmers will. We've seen the whole agricultural community come out. Once people leave communities, they don't. They generally don't return. Countrywide. Don't worry about me. Go and speak to your farmers. We're already losing businesses. Get out there and speak to your farmers today. and jump Countrywide, the politics of food and farming on ABC Radio. Hello. Thank you for your company. My name is Megan Hughes. In the next half hour, a look at why workers in the dairy industry have been striking and what this means for milk supply. Makes their stomach turn a little bit as you're watching it all go down the drain for the day's work. So you've had to tip milk twice already? Yep, two separate nights. Um, we're on night pickup, so morning milking goes in one vat, night milking goes in the other, and we've had to empty the vats twice. And also, why is it so hard for Aussies to break into the country music scene? In Australia, I feel like you don't hear country music on your mainstream radios or any anything like that. I think people do still visualise it as a completely separate like thing here in Australia. But first, there were warnings earlier this year that this could be a bad fire season, and that's exactly what's happening across the country. So crews have been working around the clock to try and get them under control in just about every state and territory. David Clawton filed this report on the recent fires and the death of a farmer this week in New South Wales. It's only October, but fires have been burning in New South Wales since August. This week, a firestorm burnt out Campbell Duff's family property at Temagog near Kempsey on the mid-north coast. Later in the afternoon, the wind picked up and really just came through like you know, a firestorm. Um, it was pretty hard to watch out to the west of our property where um, that westerly wind got behind it and really pushed it significantly towards the river. Um, yeah, it was 50 metre high flames and whirly winds of, of, of air that was on fire and yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty hectic. A few years of rain has meant a lot of grass has grown across New South Wales and former Fire Chief Greg Mullins took ABC News on a helicopter flight in August to look at the thick bush and the fire danger that posed. This is what's been happening with climate change. Our windows to do hazard reduction are just getting narrower, narrower and narrower because of the drying effect over decades. And then as soon as you get hot temperatures, you're into fire weather, so you just can't burn, it's too dangerous. And it really can be a recipe for disaster. By mid-September, the Rural Fire Service was fighting on multiple fronts. Here's Fire Commissioner Rob Rogers. We've got currently 46 fires burning in New South Wales, um, a lot of them in that northern part of the state. We're seeing this sort of activity starting to ramp up now, so we're expecting this will continue now and indeed accelerate in uh, coming weeks and months. That was followed by fires on the south coast and then the central west. And this week, the Willy Willy fire took the life of 56-year-old farmer Richard Maney. Cattle farmer and neighbour David Duff had 90% of his property burnt in that fire and he knew Richard. He stopped to reflect on his death and his own challenges with Tina Quinn. With New England, you know, we're all third and fourth generation farmers on this road here, so, yeah, he's a community member and it's... It's a bit close to home when it's only two or three k's down the road. Very tragic. We're a pretty small community, you know. We went to school together out here at Warbra School and there was only uh, less than 20 kids in that whole school. So you knew everybody and you knew everybody's parents and it's just it's more like family than anything, um, if that makes sense. It sort of brings back memories of 2019. 
Well, it does because we lost another bloke to straight across the river there, only a K from where we are here now, and um, it surprises me that there hasn't been more lives lost. We know the numbers that were lost in the Black Summer fires and um, hit the whole community where there were, you know, a lot, lot bigger losses than what they've been here so far, as far as houses and livelihoods and all that sort of thing. But to cop it twice within four years is just a bit uncomprehendable. I know. In the Australian landscape, we deal with variable climate. That's just part of the the nature, you know, that we live under. I don't want to draw the arrowhead right here because a lot of Australia suffers this sort of thing. And, I mean, they wrote a poem once about, I love a sunburnt country, and we do. Both Carol and I grew up in the area here, and um, we love where we live and we love what we do, but... The main thing I'm trying to say is to cop five pretty major natural disasters one after the other like this is just making it a little bit challenging financially and mentally, I suppose, really. Now, heading to the Northern Territory, the fire in the Barclay region has raised more than 2.8 million hectares. It's been burning for six weeks. And there's been backburns done more than 160 kilometres long, and they've been put in to bring this fire under control. To give you some context, that region is southeast of Tennant Creek, and it's actually some of the NT's most productive cattle country. New fires popped up as well close to there. Authorities say they've been deliberately lit from the roadside and there's more than 30 active fires around the NT at the moment. In Queensland, fires are burning the whole way up the state from the south to the north. Now in Deepwater, about 450 kilometres north of Brisbane, it's been five years since a fire raised that area and one started again there this week. Local George Barnes lost his home in the blaze. He spoke with the ABC's Johanna Marie about the state of his property. Only photos that the police have shown me. Uh, from what they displayed, it's gone completely. The, the house has collapsed into itself pretty much. A couple of other sheds just burned to the ground. And a lot of cars, boats and a motorbike. It's all just gutted. There's nothing left. And I haven't had a chance to look and have a look. Tuesday, I was in Brisbane, and um, by the time I managed to get back from Brisbane, the the, the fire was on the on my property. Did you have animals there, and did you have uh, some friends that could help you get some of those animals out? Yeah, my friend Amanda, Andrew, she rescued my dogs and one of our cats. But we lost three cats in the fire. It still feels surreal, like hard to take in, and over the last. They also it's sort of slowly coming and when I can get up there and have a look, I think I'll know that it will be real. But at the moment it's still sort of like shock. What's the communication been like from firefighters and police, you know, about the emergency that's been happening here? Really good. The police have been in touch with me, trying to help as much as possible. And the fireys have done everything they could. Mm help me rescue a couple of bits of equipment. What's the community um, support been like? You know, people... Awesome. Mm. There's people on Facebook offering everything. (laughs) Fridges, lounges, but nowhere to put them yet. (laughs) But yeah, I've I've had offers from um, earth moving companies to donate their equipment to come and help, Mm. as well from the local community. (laughs) 
Are you just taking each day as it comes now and... Yeah, yeah. just got to deal with it. It'll take some time, but yeah, just day, day by day. As far as rebuilding, I, I plan on it, but it'll just take time. Heading to Western Australia's Wheat Belt region, a fire around 200 kilometres southeast of Perth gave the locals in Corrigan a scare as it got serious very, very quickly. It burned through about 740 hectares and it actually brought back some difficult memories for locals because they faced a major bushfire there around 18 months ago. Shire President Des Hickey says the fire has highlighted an ongoing community issue with power supply and phone connectivity in an emergency. The phone reception still, we get a good phone reception when it's working, it's fine. Um, In an emergency, if the power's off, we're still in the same situation as battery backup. That doesn't last very long, but uh, that's an ongoing issue with Telstra. So you still don't have that sorted? That that could still be a problem this summer, do you think? Have there been any improvements since last summer? No, there's been no improvements, no changes to what's happening, so yeah. Okay, and power generators. I think you were the council was working with Western Power for some mobile um, generators or some kind of backup. Anyway, uh, has there been any change on that front? As you say, it all starts with no. power. You got no power. You're going nowhere. So, has there been any improvements well, there? No improvements. That all seems to have stalled. But the discussion is still there, still on the table. So, just a case of everybody coming to terms with what has to be done. But yeah, no, nothing. Um, there's no change at the moment. That was Shire President Des Hickey speaking there about the fire in WA's Wheatbelt region. Now, some positive news in regards to the fire season. Australia's capacity for bushfire fighting has been bolstered this week too because there's been six helicopters have returned to the country from Greece. Now, the Bell helicopters are are owned by a company in Queensland and they landed on a special cargo flight to Toowoomba in southern Queensland this week. So hopefully be able to get onto the front lines very soon. From the paddock to the plate, countrywide on ABC Radio. If you've bought any sort of dairy product recently, you'd know prices have risen. Milk, it's gone from a dollar a litre to a dollar seventy. And if you're buying a bag of cheese, a 700 gram bag probably now costs about $10. More of this profit is going directly to dairy farm gates than in years gone by, which is good news for farmers. But this rising price of produce, it's fueling inflation and it's adding to cost of living pressures. And the workers who are employed at these processing plants, they want better paying conditions as well as job security because there's potential factory closes closures looming over their heads. So the driver strike against Saputo is over a new enterprise bargaining agreement. Workers are unhappy about proposed shift change notifications and changes to the time drivers start work. Plus, they also want a higher pay offer. The industrial action isn't just against Saputo, though. It's also against Fonterra, Lactalis and Peter's Ice Cream Factories. And it's um, affected 13 sites across regional and metropolitan Victoria. Derek Dent is one of the 1,400 that walked off the job and onto the picket line. We've been bargaining with our various employers for uh, over the course of this year and we're just chasing a, a fair wage increase and a change to some of our working conditions. Um, we're really just trying to get a fair wage increase to combat the, the crushing cost of living. What kind of wage increase are you looking for? Uh, that's entirely up to the members. Um, I think realistic expectations is about 5% per year. 
Um, I don't think that's uh, anything outlandish. We're still well behind when it comes to the cost of living. Um, Derek, what is it like working in a, in a milk processing factory, in a dairy processing factory? Take me through a day. Uh, so a day for me, um, we work 12-hour shifts. All of my uh, friends and members here at Langatha work 12-hour shifts. We manufacture the Devondale Long Life milk uh, as well as the Devondale butter. A day for me starts at 6am, processing milk at various speeds and, and varieties of uh, uh, milk. And it's long, hard days. It's often quite hot. It's loud. It's noisy. It's, um, it's strenuous. Uh, there, are da- there are periods of downtime as well, uh, don't get me wrong. Um, but all the workers here at Langatha make this job look easy, but it's not. It takes a long time to, to get good at this job and it takes a lifetime to perfect it and some of us are still chasing that perfection. Now, this strike, though, has meant that farmers have missed important pickups. So tens of thousands of litres of milk have been poured down the drain and the United Workers' Union is warning there may be shortages of dairy products in the coming days and weeks. Lee Roberts is one of the affected farmers. It makes their stomach turn a little bit as you're watching it all go down the drain for the day's work. So you've had to tip milk twice already yep two separate nights um we're on night pickup so morning milking goes in one vat night milking goes in the other and we've had to empty the vats twice how much milk have you had to tip out total just under fifteen thousand litres i think it's about seven thousand two hundred and fifty litres of pickup roughly and you've had to tip that out because you can't store that much milk when you need to milk cows again is that correct yeah that's right yeah you've got to get the milk out of the cows you can't uh, leave them stretching their bags too much, so you've got to take it all out um, to get the cows healthy. It must be pretty rough as a dairy farmer producing something to only have to tip it out. Yeah, well, I suppose if you compare to any other job um, you do, imagine going to a butcher shop and uh, all the work they do to fill up the window just to be told they've got to chuck it all in the bin. It's um, a bit disgruntling, really. And is it hard, though? Where do you tip out 15,000 litres of milk? You've got to let it go out a bit slower on our situation so the drains can keep up with it. Uh, but ours just runs into the effluent dam. Um, we've got one big enough that we can take that and dilute it in with the water and then um, spread it on the paddocks in the coming weeks. That was Farmer Lee Roberts speaking there. Now, Gerard Lurie, Saputo Dairy Australia's Director of Operations, told the ABC in a statement that they're committed to continuing negotiations in good faith to reach an agreement for their workers, though he said they're disappointed the unions and their members have chosen stoppage activities that will directly impact dairy farmers in Victoria and said they're actioning contingency measures to minimise business disruptions. Now, Lactalis Australia um, has responded to these strikes and it said it was working closely with farmers to minimise the impact on them as a byproduct of this coordinated strike action during the peak of the spring milk season. The company said that it would continue to negotiate in good faith with the unions to achieve a fair and equitable outcome. And it believes that the four-year deal it's tabled is fair given the current industry pressures providing certainty and security for employers. Now, Fonterra Australia's Rob Howell said it offered its workers 10.5% increases to pay over three years, plus more leave options and greater worker protections. He said they're committed to continuing negotiations with the union to secure a new agreement. Peter's Ice Cream have also been contacted for comment. Countrywide, the voice of regional Australia on ABC Radio.
Apple and pear growers are calling for supermarket reform. So it's really been for them a long slog of low prices and difficult market conditions. Recent work from New South Wales farmers showed that on average, apple grower returns have only increased by 50 cents per kilogram in 20 years. And that the industry expects as much as 10% of pear trees have been ripped from the ground this year. Government Relations Manager with Apple and Pear Australia, Jeremy Griffith, says reform is needed to keep growers in the industry. This isn't just an issue for the Australian pear industry. This is for the whole horticultural industry. Any industry that is a perishable product uh, is under a unique set of pressures. There's no question about that. The, the ability to move your product, if you don't sell your product, you lose your product. So that's an extraordinary... So, And if you don't have strong export markets, as the Apple and Pan, many of the other horticultural sectors do not have established export industries. So you're very, very reliant on the major retailers. The major retailers have 65% of the market. Now, that makes it very problematic to get a reasonable price for your product. The price for pears and apples have gone up in the last 12 months. But the reality is that's because we lost 30% of the volume of pears. So supply and demand, we would have expected to see a much bigger price jump just from supply and demand. We have not seen that jump in the price and so that says to me supply and demand isn't working properly in the, in the in the market so that's that's a concern for us and i think we need to have a very close look of how uh, the perishable good industry is it kind of protected or works with the government from a regulatory point of view and how it deals and interacts with with the retailers um, because you know they're under they're commercially public listed companies I spend a lot of time looking at their margins. I spend a lot of time looking at their share price. I look. I spend a lot of time looking at their price to earning ratios, and on every single ticket item, you know, there's a red flags everywhere. From they have very significant market power. Uh, we need to look at make sure that we preserve the Australian agricultural sector, purely from a food sustainability point of view. Secondly, if we don't provide an opportunity for the next generation of growers to come through, we won't have any. Literally, will not have it. The seventy-two-year-olds literally will not be able to keep doing the farming. That's an ACCC thing or a government thing to look into the regulation around this. Well, obviously, the ACCC implements the policy. Mm -hmm. Um, So it'll be the government to actually introduce the legislation. And so we would like to see a lot more powers given to the ACCC. Um, Our preference would be to say, provide all the, the, the... powers, significant powers up front to the ACCC because what we're really after is, is behavioural change in, in the way that the retailers go about. Now, if the retailers are doing absolutely everything right, not a problem in the world. Fantastic. Go for it. But if there is, what we want to basically say is that there are very significant fines. And when I say significant fines, I mean material impact. You know, the one thing I've worked for many publicly listed companies over the years, if you're going to have a material impact upon your profit, that makes shareholders very nervous, that makes senior management very nervous, and they will de-risk the business. They say, we don't want to be involved in anything like that. We can't take the risk to the business. So they'll have very, very strong policies and the culture will change. And also too, we'd love to make sure that the ACCC has the power ability to say, you know, we want to come and see what your margins are for the last five or six years. We want to see what you've been buying at. We want to see what you've been selling at. Now, they do have those powers, but we just want to make sure they're a lot more easier to implement. That was Government Relations Manager with Apple and Pear Australia, Jeremy Griffith, speaking there. Coming up, why Australia's country musicians struggle to make it big at home. And you'll also meet Jillaroo Jess, a road train driving, cattle wrangling, grease monkeying, snake handling, horse riding, can do cowgirl. What's on your dinner plate? Countrywide, the politics of food and farming.
Morgan Wallen, Luke Combs, Lainey Wilson, Zach Bryan are all country music artists dominating their home charts in the US as well as here in Australia. But not one Aussie country musician is among them. Lucy Cooper spoke to members of the music industry to find out why. Country music is taking over US charts and making history. This year, for the first time since 1981, the Billboard Top 100 saw two country music songs hold the number one and number two spots. This undeniable mainstream success has the music industry in America saying the genre has entered a new era. But back home in Australia, local artists don't feel as optimistic. In Australia, I feel like you don't hear country music on your mainstream radios or any anything like that. I think people do still visualise it as a completely separate like thing here in Australia and that's why we have all our own country music radio and all that stuff. We're not sitting in that support bracket for Australian musicians. That's Josie. She's an up-and-coming country artist based in Townsville, North Queensland. Josie released her debut single this year. Hooking into TikTok as a way to promote her music was the key to early success for Josie's debut song. TikTok is just the place to be at the moment. All those, yeah, top number ones, you just see them, you know, blow up on TikTok. And it's like pushing my music out to a much larger audience than I probably would have ever been able to reach. And yeah, I've seriously gained so much from TikTok. It's a whole thing. That's seriously how so many artists are blowing up these days. Yeah, organically. Don't have to spend money on it and off you go. Josie wanted her first single to be authentic rather than take on an Americana sound, which many local country music artists have recently leaned towards. I was just trying to find something to write a song about and I was like, okay, what can I write about? Let me go listen to the Fresh Country playlist on Spotify. You know, go and have a listen. That's where all the top songs are these days. What's everyone singing about? What what are people listening to? So many people are like referencing America, Nashville, Tennessee, all that sort of stuff. You know, I could sit there and write a song about that, easy done, but I really, really wanted my whole thing to be that I'm a genuine storyteller. I'm authentic and raw and real and that's what I wanted. So I was like, well, if that's the case, I can't sing about Tennessee. And, well, that's where the whole song blossomed. I was like, hang on, this actually is my song. Here we go. So I can kind of get the best of both worlds and still name drop those, you know, fun words, Tennessee, Mississippi, all that stuff, but then still bring in the whole Australian vibe and, you know, talk about the Nullarbor, talk about how trucks aren't four-wheel drives, like all that sort of stuff. But like many up-and-comers in the industry, a question looms over her career. How and where Will she be able to make it? It's scary. It really is. Like, I've worked so hard for everything and to think that it might not go anywhere and I just spend all this money and time and effort on nothing. It is really scary. But also scary to think about if I wanted to move over to Nashville, like, what are the chances over there even? Because it is just so saturated. Like, everyone over there has that same dream. They want to do the same thing. They want to go and become a country star. And it's like, well, you know, you, you feel like you have a better chance over in Australia because it's not that saturated but then everything that is anything has come from Nashville. So it's like, what do you do? Josie is not alone in her opinions. West Australian artist Johnny Taylor has been in the industry for over a decade and gained popularity on programs like Australian Idol and Australia's Got Talent, 
but he said it's very difficult to break through to a broader audience. I think massive stardom has to happen in America. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen it. I've seen it happen with people here. People that are so so talented have all the charisma, have all the talent, have the looks, have everything behind them. The most powerful managers in the business. And, you know, I can't quite make it here. They go to America and all of a sudden it's like, oh, he is actually awesome or she is awesome. So why is there a gap? Why did tickets to Luke Combs sell out immediately? Yet most Aussies struggle to name five local country artists under the age of 30. Josie said it comes down to our perception of the genre. When I think back to me in primary school, everyone would, like, bully you for listening to country music. It just was not the in thing. If you listen to country, yeah, hillbilly or redneck or something like that, like, or a bogan. You know, people just weren't that into it and they you had to be a specific niche to be into country music. But I think these days, like, that perspective has definitely changed. But I still think there is room for people to acknowledge that it is just music, like, and it is becoming a huge genre. It's at the top of the Billboard charts. It's number one at the moment. Johnny Taylor agrees. I don't know how to shake the, the sense of it being so daggy, you know. It's it's kind of always been that way. I think a, a lot of the issue is the whole country and western thing, you know. Everyone says, oh, how do you write a country song? It's about when you lose your dog and your wife leaves you and this, that and the other. And those cliches are definitely there. I mean, you don't have to look hard to find them. But there's a lot of really clever music. There's a lot of really clever songwriters. So I think once people open their minds to that sort of thing and, and look past the stupid cliches of the, you know, chewing straw in the fields kind of vibe, um, they might actually find something that's, that's quite cool and, and not always so stereotypical. That report from Lucy Cooper. And our final story today, she's described as a road train driving, cattle wrangling, grease monkeying, snake handling, horse riding, can-do cowgirl. There's not much that Jillaroo Jess can't do. Jessica Edwards shows people what it's like to work in the outback and in agriculture. Victoria Ellis sat down with her for a chat about her experiences as a woman in the industry. My name's Jess Edwards. Most people know me better as Jillaroo Jess on social media and a couple of the TV shows I've been on. How did you become Jillaroo Jess? Oh, look, I was born in the city. And so when I was 15, I finally went to the country, started doing the horse things and, and cattle things, ended up contract mustering. And all my city friends were amazed at what I was doing from, you know, growing up in Brisbane. So I started a blog and I thought, you know, Jillaroo Jess sounds pretty fun. So I started uh, posting stories and photos and things like that on on my website. Uh, Facebook started coming along. I started a page and it kind of just all went from there. You said you didn't have a message back then, but do you have a message now or is there something that you try to teach people or share with people who aren't familiar with the agricultural industry now? I think so. It's kind of, it has evolved. And I guess as I've grown up too, you know, that was 12 years ago when I was 19, just showing my age there, when I, when I started it. So as I grew up and as I grew to know who I was, you know, I, I discovered what was important to me, which is um, promoting women in agriculture and in the uh, trucking industry. And um, yeah, just, just trying to bridge that gap between the rural Australia and the city Australia. Can you tell me a bit about some of your own experiences and why you think that's necessary or important? Yeah, look, I women have been in these industries for such a long time. I am certainly not saying that I'm the first or, you know, anything like that. Um, but I just think from my experiences, it's it's still so necessary to kind of just show that 
women can be hard workers too. Um, and look, people who work around hard work and women, it's fine, but there is still such a stereotype that women aren't going to be able to do the hard work. Um, you know, I'm strong. I'm pretty tall. Like I'm five foot 10. So I'm, I'm stronger than even some of the blokes doing the work. But look, there have, there have been difficult experiences. Um, even when I was, I was carting cattle, um, you know, there would just be certain assumptions that I was doing the wrong thing because I was the only female, you know, amongst many blokes doing the same work. And I think that needs to stop because it's, it's really not fair. So I think it's important to kind of show that women are just there to do their job as well. Um, and that we're good at it. If we have some men listening and they want to be able to support the women who are they're working with or who are in their industry, what are some examples that you've experienced where you have been supported by men specifically? How have they helped you? Uh, just by listening, I think. Um, we're not, we are not the same. Like on, on average, you know, men are going to be a bit stronger and women are emotionally stronger. Um, so I think we make a fantastic team, but... I think when, when people have been pushed aside for so long, they just want to be listened to. And that's it for Countrywide. You can hear all of these stories and more at abc.net.au slash rural. I'm Megan Hughes. Goodbye for now.